All right. So welcome, and we're, we're glad you're here, and what an awesome time of worship, yeah? I uh, just felt the presence of God, and it, it was so simple and so pure. Um, it was just, it was deep, amen? Amen. So we're going to go ahead, and, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. Are you okay with that? Okay. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for today and for the amazing worship, Lord, and that it just brought us that much closer to you. And Lord, I trust that our hearts are ready to receive the seed of your word. And Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and that we would all, all would be ready to hear, Lord, your word. You speak to us in this new series. And, and thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your love, your mercy, for your word. And I decrease that you would increase and for myself of myself. So fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is right after 1 Corinthians. Yeah? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Chapter 1 verses 1 through 11 is today's text. Now today we're going to begin a new series that I'm calling From the Heart. Say that, From the Heart. And I'll explain a bit, in a bit, uh, why I gave it that title. Now, before we even dive into the text, I want to give you some background on this letter. I'm going to go kind of fast, so I apologize for those of you who like to take down notes, okay? But the author of this book, obviously, is Paul. Say Paul. It was written about A.D. 55 to A.D. 56 from Macedonia. And by the way, I want to say this. Paul wrote several letters to the Corinthian church. He wrote four letters, four letters in all. Now, we only have two that are included in the Bible, and it said that his first and his third letter was lost. So, the, so 1 Corinthians, listen now, 1 Corinthians is actually his second letter to them. Got it? And 2 Corinthians is his fourth letter to them. Now, the key people in this letter, 2 Corinthians, is Paul, Timothy, Titus, and false teachers. Key doctrines, stay with me now, key doctrines is reconciliation with God, uh, Christ's substitutionary atonement for sin, uh, also guarantee of the believer's salvation. Another doctrine here is the nature of Satan and also judgment. Key verse is found in chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 20, where Paul writes, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Someone say amen. Now, Paul had helped start the church in Corinth on one of his missionary journeys, and he was there for 18 months. You should know that if you were with us in our First Corinthians series. 18 months. But after leaving, he heard that the church was having conflict, conflict. Uh, they, they struggled with their faith. They struggled with their lifestyle. They struggled from internal and also external problems. And so he had to address the issue on idolatry, the issue on sexual sin, also on their disobedience to God's plan for marriage, for the family, uh, issues on, on proper worship, the Lord's Supper, also on, on spiritual gifts. And this is what prompted him to write 1 Corinthians. Are you guys with me so far? Well, after things settled down, he started to hear 
here that some of the people in the church were criticizing him and trying to discredit his integrity and denying his authority as an apostle and questioning his motives. So he wrote them again. And this time, this letter, 2 Corinthians, was personal and less confrontational. Say personal. You see, 1 Corinthians, now follow me here, 1 Corinthians is a firm, instructive, corrective, confrontational, practical, say practical, letter, while 2 Corinthians is a different letter. 2 Corinthians is a personal, say personal, a personal letter. It's filled with warmth. It's filled with encouragement. It's filled with, with comfort. And this is why I'm calling this series From the Heart. Here in 2 Corinthians, Paul opens up his heart. He, he bears his soul, and he, he lets them know of his love. He lets them know of his commitment to them. And this letter gives us personal insight, I love this, into Paul's life, into his life. Now, out of all the letters that he wrote, this is the most personal letter. It's up close and personal. It's from the heart. Homer Kent, a Bible scholar and Bible uh, commentator, gives the name 2 Corinthians a heart open wide. We can, we can see Paul's vulnerability here in this letter. The title of my message today is The Blessing in Suffering. Everyone say that. Now, that sounds kind of like an oxymoron, doesn't it? <laughs> right? The blessing in, in suffering. Well, today's message, listen now, today's message is, is one that, that we all, all of us here, we all need to hear. And if not now, sooner or later, we're going to need this message. Listen now, for strength, for hope, for encouragement, and for comfort. Now, if you're safe, say amen. As Christians, as, as saved believers, how many times have we asked the questions, why does God permit his people to suffer? Why do the righteous have to suffer? suffer? Why do bad things happen to godly people? And I think that we all struggle with these questions, right? Let's be honest. We all struggle with these questions. How many times in our times of suffering have we said to God, let's be honest now, have we said to God, God, I'm, I'm serving you faithfully. God, I tithe, I give, I witness when I can. I've, I, put you, I put you first place in my life. I've been faithful to you. I've been faithful to my family. I seek your face daily through prayer and through the word. I, I really love you, God. I love you. I really do. I try really, really hard to do the right things. So, Lord, why am I suffering? Huh? Why is this happening to me? Do you not love me? Am I not pleasing to you? Did I do something wrong? God, am I, am, I, am I missing something here? Well, here in our text, Paul addresses the question, why do Christians suffer? Why do Christians suffer? Now, there are certain denominations, and hear me now, there are certain denominations out there who believe that the Christian life is void of suffering, the Christian life is void of pain, that to be sick or to suffer is a lack of faith or a lack of closeness to God. And my response to that is Christians are not exempt from suffering. 
Christians are not exempt from pain. In fact, the Bible tells us that suffering, listen now, that suffering and the Christian life, guess what? Go hand in hand. Prove it. I will. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. 2 Timothy 2, 3. Paul writes, join with me. Listen to what he says. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. James chapter 1, verse 2. We're very familiar with this, right, friends? James 1, 2. Consider pure joy. Did you get that? My brothers, and I'd say sisters too, whenever you face, not if, but whenever you face trials of many kinds, not just trials, but trials of many kinds. 1 Peter 1, 6. 1 Peter 1, 6. Peter writes, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of of trials, all kinds of trials. First Peter chapter four, verses 12 and 13. Peter writes, dear friends, do not be surprised. This is what he says. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Romans 8, 18, write that down, Romans 8, 18. And Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And I'm going to give you these other scriptures. I don't have time to read them. Philippians 3, 10, Philippians 3, 10, and 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses 9 through 10, 1 Peter 5, 9 through 10. So as Christians, as we just laid out these scriptures to you all, as Christians, we will suffer in this life. We live in a fallen world, therefore we will suffer in this life. If you are saved and you have a pulse, you're going to suffer. Christians, listen now, Christians get cancer. Christians get covid Christians get sick. Christians get strokes. Christians have Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. Christians get divorced. Christians get separated. Christians, listen now, Christians have kids who rebel against God. Christians have financial distress. Brothers and sisters, if you are a believer, you're going to suffer in this life. That is just life. Are you with me? Now I want to say this. God doesn't cause our suffering. He doesn't cause it, but he does allow it. Are you with me? He does allow it. Now if you have read and if you have studied Paul's letters then it's no surprise that he suffered greatly. I mean, his life was marked by sickness. His life was marked by persecution, right? He was shipwrecked. He was, he was beaten. He was jailed. He was stoned by rocks, not this stone. Are you guys with me? Okay, I want to make you laugh this morning. 
stoned and almost left for dead, and not to mention that he was stabbed in the back and forsaken by those who were, listen now, supposedly, supposedly his friends. And you name it, Paul endured it. And through all of that, he was a man of faith who continued to love and serve God consistently, faithfully, passionately, and deeply from the heart. From the heart. So if there's anyone who can speak on the subject of suffering besides Job and besides Jesus Christ, it would have to be Paul. Can I get an amen? It would have to be Paul. Now, before I give you the first point, let's look at verses 1 and 2. If you're ready, say yes. It says, Paul, an apostle, say apostle, of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I want to stop there. The term apostle, we should know this, right? The term apostle means one sent out or one who was commissioned, one who's a representative. Are you guys with me? Got it? And we know that Paul was one who was sent on a special assignment. We know that he was commissioned by God, and you'll find that in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, go home and read that. Now, the reason why Paul addresses himself as an apostle in the text here, friends, was because he was contending with false teachers in Corinth who claimed to be apostles, and they challenged his qualifications. Now, notice what Paul does. He then introduces his associate. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. And then he introduces his his readers to the church of God in Corinth. By the way, this is God's church. Amen. And I, I know we say this is my church, and I get that, but this is God's church. To the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia. Achaia is modern day Greece. Verse 2, he says, Grace, and this is Paul's signature writing here, right? Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace are the Siamese twins of the New, Test- of the New Testament. Got it? In the Greek, the word grace is charis, or charis, charis. In Hebrew, peace is shalom. Shalom. Got it? You see, grace is the source of our salvation. Peace is the result of our salvation. And I love what Paul does here. He takes the Greek word grace and the Hebrew word peace to unite the Greeks and the Jews together. Can I get an amen? He was all about unity. So four points from today's text. If you're ready, say yes. Point number one is, here we go, is discovery. Say that. Write that down, discovery. And then we're going to look at verse 3. Discovery. Point number one, verse 3 says, Paul says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to stop there. Notice before Paul launches into his his section on suffering and comfort, what he does, he declares God's praise. He begins with what? Praise. Why? Why? Because praise changes our perspective. Right? Right? Paul couldn't sing about his circumstances, but he could sing about the God who is in control of his circumstances, right? Of all circumstances. So you have a choice. You have a choice. When it comes to your suffering, you can choose to complain about it, or you can choose to praise God. Amen? In it. Your choice. Because praise changes our perspective. 
Got it? So he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read on. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. I want you to underline all comfort. Because we know that in our times of suffering, friends, listen now, that we discover, say discover. Does that word say discover something new and something deeper about God, right? Now, I want you to notice what Paul does. Paul gives three descriptions of God. He says, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, speaking about a God of salvation and redemption right there. Then he says, Father, which means originator. Father of compassion and mercy. And the third description is God of all comfort. It's this last phrase that Paul gives attention to. God of all comfort. Say that. You see, in our times of suffering, listen, our, our times of suffering reveal for us something of the comfort of God. Now, in the Greek, the word comfort is parakaleo. Say that. Parakaleo. Para or para means alongside. Kaleo means to call. It literally means to come alongside, come alongside and, and help. A call to your side. Call to your side to strengthen you. Call to your side to fortify you. Our English word comfort, listen now, comes from two Latin words, comfortus, okay, meaning with strength, come with and fortus, strength. With strength. So this comfort, listen now, is help with strength. And that's what the comfort of God is all about. It's the same word, same word Jesus used in John 14, 16. Write that down. John 14, 16, where it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another what? Counselor, comforter, to be with you forever. That's the Holy Spirit, right? We know this. The counselor, uh, paraclete, paraclete, one who comes alongside and helps us, helps you, helps me. Now listen, Paul didn't say, I want you to get this. Paul didn't say God gives us sympathy. Did he say that? Didn't say he gives us sympathy. Rather, God gives us comfort. You see, sympathy can weaken us instead of strengthen us. I want you to follow me here. God doesn't pat us on the head and say, it's going to be okay, and I'm sorry you're going through this. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't distract our attention from our troubles. Instead, what he does, he puts strength into our hearts so we can face our troubles and face our hardships and triumph over them. And we should be, listen, we should be comforted. We should be strengthened. We should be encouraged to know that God stands at our side. Someone say amen to that. To help us whenever we go through times of trouble, times of suffering. I want you to write this down, Isaiah 41.10. Isaiah 41.10, and by the way, Isaiah 41.10, that one verse, verse 10, is a sermon in of itself. He writes this, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I want to read that again to you, and I want to break it down real quick here. Do not fear, for I am with you. That's his presence. Say his presence. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. That's his person. Say presence. Say person. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's his power. Are you guys with me? 
his presence, his person, his power. He is with you. He is in you. He is for you, friends. Whenever you're safe, say amen. When tragedy strikes our lives, when our world collapses before us, friends, when our hearts are broken, we need comfort. Yeah? And the awesome thing is, we receive comfort. Look at verse 4a. Verse 4a, who comforts us in all our troubles. Did you get that? Who comforts us in all our troubles. In fact, the, the Greek word trouble there is thalipsis. Say thalipsis. It means to be confined. That word trouble, confined to. It means to be, to be, to be pressed to be under pressure, to be confined, to be pressed, or to be under pressure. And what this is speaking of, this trouble here or suffering here, it's speaking about our everyday circumstances, such as suffering has it could do with your job, a job, or, or a relationship, or your finances, or, or a physical ailment. And you feel confined, and you feel strapped in that situation. Well, it's in those times of our suffering and trouble that we discover the amazing comfort of God. And he meets us in our suffering with comfort. Now, I don't know about you. I, I don't know about you, but the more that I suffer, the more I discover, say discover, the depth of God's goodness, the depth of his care, his strength, right, his grace, his peace, and his comfort. You see, his comfort is greater than our suffering. His comfort is greater than our troubles. Here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? We always have a lesson, don't we? Remember who God is to you. Say that. Remember who God is to you. Look at, your, look at your neighbor and say that. Remember who God is to you. Okay. Okay. Who is he? He's the God of all comfort. Who is he? The God of all comfort. Got it? He isn't the God of some comfort or the God of ample comfort. No, he's the God of all comfort. Yeah? Get this, this tells you that you would never face a situation or need that God couldn't supply, could not supply the grace and comfort needed to endure. Are you with me? Say discovery. I love this one. Number two is ministry. Say that. Ministry. Ministry. So we need comfort, right? Right? We, and then, then we, we receive comfort, right? But guess what? We also share comfort. Say share comfort. Look at verse 4b. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have what? Received from God. Did you get that? Did you get that? This comfort that we receive from God isn't simply for our personal relief, though it does Bring personal relief. Listen, it's given to us so that we might be able to help and comfort others. Are you guys with me? God comforts us not just for us to sit and soak in the comfort, okay? It's for us to comfort others. And what I love about Paul, what I love about this man was that he saw his suffering not as misery but as ministry. You're safe, say amen. Part of the purpose, say purpose, that God has for us in our suffering is it 
is it opens doors for ministry. We become agents. I love that. Agents of his grace, agents of his mercy, agents of his encouragement and comfort. And you see, friends, when we have gone through something that someone else is going through, we sense their pain. In other words, friends, we can identify and relate to them. Yeah? You see, our suffering allows us, allows you and I to have a better understanding of the pain that other people are going through. It expands, it expands our ability to minister to others. Now get this. Each time that you and I, that we discover God's comfort in our own suffering, our capacity to help others should increase. And this is why our suffering is not to be wasted. It's not to be wasted. Okay? We don't share the comfort that God gave us, and, and, then, and then, you know, and then if we don't do that, we don't share the comfort that God gave us, then what we're doing, we're wasting it away. We're wasting our suffering. Our suffering is an instrument. Listen now, instrument. It's an instrument to minister to others. This is a ministry that every single Christian has. You want a ministry? There it is. Okay? Every Christian has this ministry because we all have suffered in life, right? We all have. A.W. Tozer said this, before God can use a person greatly, he must allow that person to suffer deeply. Get this, God's comfort is not necessarily given. Well, it is. It's loaned. He loans it to you and he expects you to share it. He expects, expects you to pass it on to others who are suffering. His desire for us is to have, listen, and get this, to have chain reaction comfort. In other words, you need to pass it on. Don't just keep it to yourself. All right? Don't just be in your little comfort party. Pass it on to someone else. John Henry Jowett said this, God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. Verse 5, you still with me? Say amen. Verse 5, for just as the sufferings of Christ, and I want to stop there, say, say sufferings of Christ. In the Greek, the word suffering there is pathema. Say pathema. And that whole phrase, sufferings in Christ in the Greek is pathemata Christo. Patemata Christo, which means the sufferings of Christ. So here, I want you to follow me here now. Here Paul is talking about the sufferings that you and I experience for being Christians. It's different from the everyday sufferings of life, right, in terms of a job or relationship. Here he's talking about us suffering because we're Christians. If you are a believer, you have a target on your back. The devil doesn't like you. And you need to get other people to try to disrupt your life and make you suffer, right? So he says, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And I love this. As sufferings is poured into the Christian, the Christian will overflow. But what spills over is different. Listen now, is different from what's poured in. Follow me. Suffering goes in, comfort comes out. Got it? As many sufferings come our way, comfort will come too. Verses 6 and 7. We are distressed, Paul says, it is for your comfort. Did you get that? And salvation. 
If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance. Someone say amen. Of the same sufferings we suffer, and our hope for you is firm, say firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. So Paul had a, listen, he had a steadfast hope and, and a, a firm conviction that the Corinthians would have victory through their sufferings. That just as God had comforted Paul, that God would also comfort, right, the Corinthian believers when they suffered for their faith. Now, Paul's point is this. This is his point. The suffering that I'm going through, Paul's saying, I'm going through is for others. It's for others. I'm going to let God use me, Paul's saying. Use me, listen, use this suffering to help other people. Now, get this. Our suffering should never be, I want you to get this, our suffering should never be a me-centered suffering. Are you with me? Never be a me-centered suffering, but an others-centered suffering. In other words, I'm going to use my suffering to comfort others. Got it? That's ministry, right? So here's a lesson. You ready for the lesson? Remember what God does through you. You got to remember that. Remember what God does through you. We ought to be willing to face our trials and our suffering with joy since that we know that God will comfort us and bring spiritual good to us personally and bless others as we share God's comfort with them. Randy Kilgore said this, may we never leave someone to suffer alone. If we know the trial another is on, God will help us to guide that person to his presence, the surest comfort of all. Now I want to say this. When you suffer, be very careful not to fall into a pity party. Right? You need to avoid self-pity. And I'll tell you why. Because self-pity will turn your suffering into a reservoir rather than a channel. Are you with me? What, what are you suffering? What's your suffering right now? What's your trouble? I don't know. I know mine. And I got to tell you, this is for me. This is for me, my wife. We're, we're going through it. What, what is your suffering? What is your trial? What is your trouble? What is it? And, and whatever it is, I want to tell you, it's an opportunity for you. Don't, don't get in a pity party. Why me? Why me? Why not me? Yeah? Why not me? It's an opportunity to comfort, to minister, and to bless others. Ministry. Sufferings are not accidents. Your suffering and your trouble and your life is a divine appointment for God to use you to touch someone else's heart and comfort them. Can I get an amen? Get out of your pity party and poor me. Why me? Why, why not you? Why not? Discovery, ministry, number three. I'm going to use this word, centrality. Say that. 
centrality. Verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. We thought they were going to die. Indeed, in all our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this, this is what he says, and I want you to underline this, this, this whole phrase here. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but God, who raises the dead. Now, Paul does not get specific about his hardships that he suffered in the province of Asia, but he does make it clear that it was a hardship. He was suffering, all right? He thought he was going to die. And he shared this with his readers not to get sympathy from them, rather, friends, to teach them a lesson he learned. And that lesson, listen now, it's in the text, and that, that lesson was to trust and to have confidence in God and in God alone. Listen, one of, the, one of the things that suffering does is it causes us to put everything in perspective. At least it should, right? It causes us to focus on God, to put him, here we go, at the center, say center, of our lives. Centrality, center of our lives to trust him and not ourselves. You see, our sufferings have a way of stripping us from the tendency to trust in ourselves, to trust in, in God. And that's exactly where God wants us. That's exactly where he wants you to be. Ellen Redpath said this, God has one great purpose for his people above everything else. It is to destroy in us forever any possible confidence in the flesh. It is to bring us to the place where self-confidence has passed into history and has been exchanged for a confidence in God who raises the dead. Let's go back to verse 9. Look at verse 9 again. Indeed our hearts, indeed in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who what? Raises the dead. Now, Paul could have said, he could have said, but on God who created the heavens and the earth, which he did, but on God who is king and he is, right? But on God who is just and he is, but he didn't. He said, but on God who raises the dead. Why? Why? Because when we're suffering, when we're suffering, something in us, let's be honest, something in us is dying. It's, it's dying, right? It could be joy that's dying, hope that's dying, strength that's dying. And God is the only one who can resurrect that joy and resurrect that hope and resurrect that strength in our lives. He's the only one who can bring dead things to life because that's part of his character. That's who he is. Lesson, here we go. Lesson, remember who God is and what he can do for you. Remember who God is and what he can do for you. Remember who God is. Say that. Remember who God is. Come on, say, remember who God is and what he can do for you. Why? Because when it comes down to it, he's all you have. 
He's all you really, really have. You see, that's what suffering does. It drives us to a place where we realize that all we have is God. It drives us to a place where we become desperate for him and him alone. That being said, I want you to stay with me here now. Question, are you desperate for God? Think about it. Are you, are you really desperate for God? If not, then what's, gonna, what's it going to take? Listen, Christians, what's it going to take for you to become desperate for God again? What's it going to take for you to place God at the center, the center of your life again? Because the reality is some of you here this morning, God's not at the center of your life. And you got to place him back at the center of your life again. Question, do you have a, a quiet time with God because it's part of your spiritual routine? Or do you do it because you're desperate? to know him more and more each day. Question, do you worship God because he makes you feel better? Or do you worship him because he is worthy of all praise, of all glory, and of all honor? Question, do you tithe? And do you give in order to get a blessing from God? Or do you tithe and give because you understand that all you have is his, and without him you have nothing? Question, do you come to church because it's your religious duty? Or do you come to church because you're desperate, desperate to meet with God, desperate for his presence? Psalm 42.1, the psalmist wrote, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Are you desperate? I want you to get this. Okay? If you don't get anything, get this. It is only when we come to the end of ourselves that we get to the beginning of God. Are you with me? Is he the center of your life? John Corson, Pastor John Corson wrote this and said, it's a great day when a, when a man finally comes to the end of himself and realizes, I don't need to go, another go to another seminar or, or call another counselor. I don't need to enroll in another program or come up with another creative idea. All I need is you, Lord. I'm going to wrestle with you. I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to depend on you because I need to be governed by you. Verse 10, he has delivered us from, say delivered, say delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver, say deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. So Paul had his hope set that God would continue to deliver him one way or another, right? One way or another, either through the trial or from the trial, right? Either through the trial or from the trial, God's going to deliver you either one way or the other. Got it? Number four, we're going to get is, here we go, community. Say that. Discovery, ministry, centrality, and community. Verse 11, as you help us by your prayers. Did you get that? As you help us by your prayers, 
then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. The prayers of, say it, many. So Paul is quick, and I love this about him. He's quick to acknowledge the helpful prayer of, this, of his fellow Christians. Listen, there is a great, and I want you to get this, there is a great danger in isolating yourselves from others and the church when going through times of suffering. And I have seen some believers, friends, who stopped coming to church, who stopped fellowshipping with the body of Christ, and stopped staying connected when going through times of suffering. They stay home. That, there's great danger in that. Are you with me? So here's the lesson. Okay? Remember what God provides for you. Remember what God provides for you. Listen, the best place to be is in God's house. And the, and the best people to be around is God's people. Why? Because you and I, we need community. So if you're going through it, you got to be here. Don't isolate yourself. Don't stay home. Right? Don't stay home and have a pity party. Come to church and have a party. Are you guys with me? You need community. You need your church family. You see, suffering is sent to us to show us that we are not individuals living all alone in life, that we are members of a family. We are members of a body, and we need each other. You're safe, say amen. When you're going through times of suffering, you're not going through it alone. Did you get that? You are not going through it alone. You have a long, excuse me, a loving, a loving community. You have a loving family to help you get through it because you cannot handle it on your own. I don't care how strong you think you are. You cannot handle it on, you can't, you can't. You need community. You need others. You need God's family to help you, to pray for you, to pray with you, to hold you up. And I want to thank you all for the crazy trial we've been through with my mom who's recovering from COVID. I, I don't think I would have made it without you. And your prayers were just so amazing. And I tell you, you're, you're my family. And I thank you in the midst of that trial. And I'm going through another trial right now with one of my children that you're always praying for me. And I love being here. Because you're my family. Amen? So if you're suffering, don't stay home. Come home where you belong. So as we, as we wrap this up, I'm going to just share something that Warren Wiersbe said. Pastor Warren Wiersbe, who's now with the Lord, my favorite commentator. When God puts, when God puts his children in the furnace, he keeps his hand on the thermostat and his eye on the thermometer. Did you get that? Listen, he's in control of your trial. He's in control of your suffering. He will not fail you.
Amen? Let's praise him. Let's all stand.